guys. Welcome to another episode of Live with the Cork in the Road. I'm Kelly. I'm your wine explorer here in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am chatting with people who are shaping the Southeast wine industry. Welcome back, season five. Thank you so much for tuning in. It was really, really fun to kick off the season last week and see so many people listening right away, sharing posts on Instagram, telling your friends. I see the numbers grow each week, and it is very exciting to know that our stories mean something to you all. That's why we do what we do. So thank you so much. This week's episode has a very strong Atlanta connection. We definitely give that Atlanta shout out. So depending on when you're listening to this, that was a very happy Atlanta versus a very sad Atlanta, depending on the outcome of the World Series. But yes, I got to talk with Cabell Corsi. He's the winemaker at Corsi Graves, a winery out in California. Now their estate is in Bennett Valley, but they also do sell their grapes to other people. So the perspective that he has as a California winemaker is really fun to hear in this episode. And we talk about all the decisions along the way of how he works with the fruit to showcase the sense of place. So Atlanta connection today to our friends out in California, and I hope you enjoy learning about Corsi Graves. Make sure you review us, find us on Instagram, and we look forward to bringing you more shows in the weeks to come. Cheers! for joining. Thanks for having me. I love that you are able to hop on across the country right now with time zones and everything. How are things going out there in California? Well, at the the winery yesterday, we got uh, about seven and a half inches of rain. That's a lot, right? What is normal this time of year? You're not expecting that. In October, nothing. Maybe an inch for the entire month, but uh, we're about nine inches for the year. So that's outside of this one day, it's not that abnormal. Normally in the past, well, 10 years, we, we have very few years where it really rains that much in October. It, it usually waits until November. But, uh, you know, climate climate has changed. It's like take the rain or take the fire. And I'm sure you're sitting a little bit more at ease with no fire. So let's take that. We'll just take a moment and be thankful for that moment. It, it's it's 100% true that I will take... You know, we'll go back to 2017 on October 9th, we had massive fire and then we've had, you know, three out of five years with fire. So to have clear skies and good weather and truthfully, we were all picked out. We were all in uh, in barrel and everything was done. So it's nice to, to uh, get some drought alleviation. Incredible. And so here you are sitting with me at the end of a crazy harvest season. So that even means more to me that for your time today. Now I serve your Bennett Valley West Slope Syrah at an event here in Roswell, Georgia at Deep Roots Wine Market. And I was looking up some of the information about the wine. It was part of the lineup. And I came across some just back stories the first time I'd ever served your wines. And I was like, what is this about Decatur? Like there was a little note on some <laughs> website about Decatur, Georgia. And I said, You've got to be kidding me. I have to learn more about this. So let's just start there because that's how we connected online with this Atlanta connection. So what is that Decatur information that I'm finding online? What is that all about? Well, I grew up just outside of Decatur. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm from Atlanta, born and raised there. Um, I haven't lived in Georgia in a long time, you know, 20, 20 years plus now. Um, but so 
but yeah, so I still go back. My, my parents still live there. My siblings still live there. You know, I have lots of family and cousins and uh, I have a big Atlanta family. So I'm back, you know, less during COVID, a lot less, but before COVID, you know, four or five times a year, you know, hopefully I'll be back. Well, I will be back in March. Uh, so I'm there pretty regularly, but uh, yeah, I love Atlanta. I love being home. I love seeing all my old friends and uh, but but I left, you know, after high school and and besides a few summers kind of being home, I, I've been gone the whole time. So we will call you an honorary member of the community because to have the opportunity to serve your wines at now and Metro Atlanta wine shop and knowing that you grew up here, which is just really, really cool. So knowing the market now, and you said you haven't lived here for 20 years, what are some of the things that stick out to you when you come back? How has it evolved since you left? I mean, you may have left as a high school kid, so maybe you weren't drinking, but what have you seen in Atlanta over the years? Well, I mean, you know, the, obviously when I was, you know, 18, 19, I wasn't doing much. And, and even in my 20s, I didn't understand the food scene or the wine sales world really at all. So I kind of got into that in my 30s. And now that I'm in my early 40s, Atlanta's just just gotten more sophisticated. I mean, now it's become a hotbed kind of, and everyone's kind of moved into town. And now there's really quality restaurants that, I mean, there was a few back then, but not like there is now. There, there wasn't a sophistication with food and wine. It's exciting to see, you know, I miss it all the time. That's so cool that you're able to say that you are noticing that food and wine evolution. I've been in Atlanta now about eight years, and I'm 10 minutes from Decatur Square, where a lot of really amazing restaurants are located now. So I am thinking about your experience of each time you come back, you probably see something so different, but now your wines are here. So let's talk about your current portfolio as winemaker, Corsi Graves. Tell me about these wines, because like I said, I have your Syrah, I did serve at an event. What are you working with? How do you describe your portfolio? You know, we we're we're in a kind of an estate we're in a state focused program so we grow all the grapes that we make into wine except for a little bit of chardonnay um so our our chardonnay does come from two vineyards we buy through from which are vineyards that i've worked with for 10 plus years now um and but uh other than that our i kind of think of ourselves as we're really growers first and we're trying to make wines that come from place we we're not really, we don't think of ourselves as a brand or I don't think of ourselves as a brand as much as I think of ourselves as we're just representing wines from the place that they're grown. Our kind of home base is in uh, Bennett Valley, which for those of you, if you've never been out to Sonoma County or even if you've been to Sonoma County, you probably didn't make it to Bennett Valley because as of now, we're the only operating winery in Bennett Valley. There used to be three, now there's just us. Um, and so, uh, you know, so not a lot of people come our way, but beautiful valley um, that runs kind of perpendicular to the coastline. And, and it's unique in that uh, we are very coastally influenced. So we're cooler than most of Russian River and, and actually most of the Sonoma Coast. But our soil types are similar to what's grown in Napa. So we're on a mountain called Bennett Mountain, which is almost the farthest west you can be of the mountain range that runs in between Napa and Sonoma. So the Mayakama range that runs in between Napa and Sonoma. We're on the western edge of that. And so our mountain kind of, we're kind of hung out above the fog, really high, high elevation. So we get a lot of coastal influence, but we're actually above the 
the marine layer that affects Sonoma Coast and, and grows Pinot. So we grow there, mostly Cabernet, Merlot, and then um, some Syrah and Viognier. But yeah, and then the other thing, we, we also um, have three vineyards in Napa that we farm. And then and then on top of that, I, we uh, have another vineyard in Sonoma Coast, which is very cool. So we grow a Pinot Noir and a little bit of Chardonnay, just not enough Chardonnay for us. But, but we're really growers first and we sell more fruit than we make. It makes me think a lot of the places that I'm seeing labeled Bennett Valley, I'm seeing that more often, but it's people buying fruit from there. They're buying now, they're bottling that, they may not have, maybe it's Custom Crush, whatever it is, they're sourcing. So I'm seeing Bennett Valley more often, but you're saying that's where your winery is located. So what is it like to come visit you there? Do you offer tasting? Oh, it's the most incredible. It's (laughs) It's really one of the nicest places to visit because I mean, the view's incredible. We're up at about 1,500 feet of elevation, um, which is pretty high for coastal because valley floor is is just about 10 feet of elevation. So we're high above the valley floor on a really clear day. You can see the ocean about 15 miles away. Um, wow. And then, um, you know, it's just a, it's kind of a grape growing paradise. Like, you know, I always, I mean, what the reason I'm there, you know, there was, there wasn't, it wasn't the only place I had the opportunity to be there, but. The, the reason kind of we, we, my partner and I chose this spot was, you know, we really liked the cooler climate compared to Napa. And we just thought we were like, over the next 15, 20 years, we were well positioned to grow really unique kind of distinctive wines because of the cooler climate with like volcanic draining soils on a mountainside. That just doesn't occur very often. There's, there's lots of volcanic mountains in Sonoma County. Um, there's very few in the cooler regions of of Sonoma County that are, you know, on a typical day. We have a we have a, a vineyard in Oakville, and on a typical July hot day, it might be 108, 109 in Oakville on a really hot day, and it and the high will be 83 degrees at our vineyard. So, um, two worlds right there. Whoa. So it's really two worlds, you know, about 30 minutes apart, and so it's really fun to see that, you know, and and. Um, it's it's hard to describe, but you know when you when you get there, you're like, wow, this place is different. So we really we just think we're lucky and we're you know we're glad to to be there and be working with this place. That's got to be so fun, not only as a visitor to see the different setting and get a little bit taste of these of these wines from different temperatures and things, but as a winemaker to be able to work with different fruit from those drastically different sites has got to be super nerdy and super fun. So what do you tell your family back home that you do? Do they know all the, day, the, the day-to-day things? Do they think you just drink wine? How do you describe your daily role? You know, the people that come out to visit, um, which is, is few, you know, it's my siblings and my parents and stuff who come out to visit, of course, but, um, you know, they kind of see what we're doing. You know, the thing about the wine industry, you know, you you come out and you have a beautiful winery and there's usually gardens and there's beautiful vineyards everywhere. And, and that uh, is kind of a, a smokescreen, a facade, if you will, of what's really going on behind the scenes, you know? Um, you know, it's, it's like you, you know, truthfully, we, we kind of, you see all this beautiful stuff and then you kind of have to walk around the, a little butte and then you see, oh, look at all this farm equipment and tractors and excavators and, uh, you know, and, and, and all this stuff. And so I'll, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. My career actually started in France. So my first 
winemaking experience was in Burgundy. And um, you, you just you just start in Burgundy. That's that's did, your level. Yeah. OK. All right. Well, <laughs> they don't pay very well. So <laughs> you can do it. You just you just have to really be passionate and want to. Priceless like experience to start yeah. out. I get that. OK. You know, there they don't have a word for winemaker. There's no French word for winemaker. There's vigeron, which means you grow grapes for wine and make them into wine. That's really the definition. And so um, when I moved to California to make wine, you know, one of the first questions they asked me was, well, are you a vineyard guy or are you a winemaking guy? And I was kind of like, well, it confused me at first because I'd never really thought of it. You know, I was like, well, I had thought, you know, you, you kind of grow the grapes for making the wine. So it's kind of one thing, you know, and that, that speaks to one, like the, the, the California, the American way of like segregating and organizing things, which is great. But it also kind of didn't, it, I felt like we weren't getting a holistic picture. And so this opportunity was like a way to do both. So we grow, we're like, we grow grapes for making wine for ourselves. And it just happens to be that other people like to buy our grapes too. Um, that is the exciting part is, is the, is the, you know, and, and, and when I say we grow grapes, it's not just like, we think, oh, don't you just grow the grapes and, but, but we're like really detailed, like from down to how much water it gets irrigated to how much shade or sun, you know, each plant will get, or the fruit will get the angle of the canopy, the little, the little details that people don't know about that we're doing every day, um, that really make our wines what they are. Um, and I, and I think when people try them, they, they notice real quick that there's kind of a purity to our wines. There's it's, you see the purity of the fruit. There's a minerality to it. They're, they're softer and they're seamless. And what I mean is seamless, like lots of wines, you know, you, you taste up front, there's fruit. Um, then there's kind of a block and then there's a mid palate and there's a space. And then there's a finish where there's usually acidity and, and astringency or tannin. And in our wines, uh, our goal is that there's no there's no seams. It's, it's seamless. It it goes from fruit all the way through, and and that sounds easy to do, but it's really quite difficult. But it really starts with those little details in the vineyard, you know. And so we are very careful about crop load, and we can kind of on a really rocky site like ours, we can actually control to some extent berry size, which which can which has to deal with the amount of pulp and skin versus juice, which has a big flavor difference. And so we can, we can kind of kind of, wouldn't say a hundred percent control because, you know, nature really is our boss, but uh, we can guide it uh, to the way we want it to be. Just what we do every day and this and what we're obsessed with. And it's super geeky and ner nerdy. And um, oh, no, but that's the know. best. You can taste that detail in your wines. And I have never heard somebody describe the seamless factor, the way that you just did, but the way that you're describing that, I know wines that have that, and I can absolutely recognize the wines that don't. So I love the way you just talked about that of those gaps or that it transitions on your palate without a stop. So I know exactly what you're talking about there and what a goal to reach that in your winemaking. And I'm realizing that you have tons of experience from other locations, from growing grapes, from seeing different different ways that people make wine. So when you came to California, what was it like getting started there? And did you ever feel like you had to do what everyone else was doing? Or did you have mentors that helped you 
find your different strategies? Like, I'm just wondering what that's like to enter the California wine industry. Yeah. So up to the point I moved to California, I never made any grapes besides uh, Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. No way. That's the, oh, wow. that's the only thing I made. And I, and I had done, I, I went to uh, wine school in New Zealand um, and worked there, worked for a few wineries there. I worked for a couple wineries um, in Australia as just as an intern. Um, obviously I worked in Burgundy and then I also worked in Oregon. Uh, and then after school, the, a winemaker, I was looking for jobs after school and a, a winemaker in California, uh, named Andy Smith. Um, he, uh, he's the owner of winemaker at a winery called Damal in the Russian river. But at the time he had a few consulting clients in Napa and, you know, so, you know, you, you got him and then I would kind of help out a lot on these Napa projects. And so that, that started me in Cabernet and, and and Demol made Syrah, but I got exposed to a lot of other things. Um, and that was kind of eye-opening, you know, then, and he, and he's been a really great mentor for me over the years and a good, and still a very close friend. Uh, and he's actually a purchaser of my fruit now too. So. Um, oh, whoa. That's, that's full circle. That's gotta be high praise, like to respect. Yes. That's if you, awesome. Yeah. If you keep buying it, then yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not that one time, one time purchase. <laughs> <laughs> that said, um, there was pressure early, you know, to be, um, I was a winemaker at a winery called Costa Brown for a while. And there was, and there was a very high success there and a lot of critical scores. There was a lot of pressure to be like, well, we, we've, we've been this like, you know, top winery, this wine spectator, number one wine. And I got, I got to perform and make wines that the, that the people expect of the style and the history of there. And, and, um, and then, but when I started on my own, I didn't have as much pressure for that because I just felt like after doing this a while, I thought that I needed to create my own identity and I, and I just needed to be authentic. And I, and I really thought that authenticity was to the place that the vineyard was grown and to the wines that could be made there. And so, you know, we talk about seamlessness, but we also like, I want wines to taste like the place they're grown. So whether it's, grown at our estate in, in Bennett Valley, well, the Corsican term for the the taste of the land, you know, and so you get that when you're out there, like you, you'll actually, there's, there's kind of a herbaceousness that's, it's not green, but it's slightly herbaceous. There's, you know, we, we're, we're uh, surrounded by force of oak and, and bay. And, and I think you can s smell that in the wine too. And, um, and we, and we want to embrace that. Um, and even with our Napa vineyards, we we grow. You know, we have a Howe Mountain vineyard and a Coombsville vineyard, and and those are very cool varietals. And Coombsville, to me, is about you know the blue fruit character. So I, I really wanted to accentuate that. Um, you know, Howe Mountain is you know red currant, red fruit stuff, and I accentuate that. And then our and our Oakville, to me, Oakville is really about the the structure of the wine, and and it's it's you know the, probably the, one of the greatest places to grow Cabernet. It's quite the easiest place to grow Cabernet. I was going to say, it loves it there. Probably, yeah. probably feels at home there. Yes. It, it works. It works. Um, but, it, but that's, it, to me, it's about the structure of the acidity and, and the, and the tannin. And, and so it's, it's about growing that stuff for, to, to accentuate those qualities. And I never wanted to be, you know, well, truthfully, I, I thought, you know, here we are growing on this wild mountainside and, and making wine on this crazy, there's not much places in, in Sonoma County on Bennett Mountain. If I try to be 
you know, these, these high-end, super fancy wines from Oakville or from Pritchard Hill, like, the, that's not really me. And that's not really what we are. So I, I just felt like uh, we would never be successful doing that anyway. And so why not just be true to the place that we are? So we, you'll notice with our wines, we're, you know, we, we always, we pick really early. We pick at a very low alcohol, but you would never know it. You know, you would never know that our Cabernet is 13% alcohol. It was not going to show the green bell pepper or something, uh, or some of the other characteristics because of, because of what we do in the vineyard. Yeah. And, and also a lot of it too is we're very specific about our inputs and what we do, but usually we find that the best thing to do is to do nothing. If that makes sense. Absolutely you know? makes sense. You are not the uh, first winemaker to tell me that. And that means that I'll probably like your wines. <laughs> so yeah. it's pretty awesome. So we do a lot of, you know, almost dry farming, you know, um, the decisions are like, okay, well, what is this place really should be like? And so are we, are what we're doing, the manipulation, the cultural practices we're doing on the wine and the vineyards, are they, are they helping us bring out the full potential of what the vineyard has to offer or are they masking something? And if they're masking something, we just, we try our best not to do it, but we're still human beings. So we really, there's, there's still like a struggle with that some days. You know? There's still that human element there, but I also appreciate when wines take me to a place and here in Atlanta, we do a lot of blind tasting. I'm part of a weekly blind tasting group here and the art of blind tasting can be used in many ways for many people, but I like it because when I'm tasting wines and I have trained my palate to recognize certain characteristics of a place, that's when the light bulb goes off. So the more wines that are made to represent the place, I think as someone who studies wine, it's so exciting to start to recognize characteristics of that land. And as a winemaker, the way you express them is the best part. So I appreciate that that's at the center of what you're trying to do. You just learn that you just have to, to do it your way, you know, and and the, one of the great things about being in the wine industry is, is everyone's pretty, like, especially winemakers, they're just really cool people and, and you're, they're real supportive and, and, and the critics too, they've been, they've been pretty good to us too. They, they kind of get it, you know, or at least awesome. most of them get it. We'll say yeah. uh, enough, uh, get it. That's yeah. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but you're finding your community out there, which is a huge part of just day-to-day, -day, you know, life and wine balance, but getting your wines out to people that's always a decision, I think, that is something that has to be navigated with precision, with intention. There's so many options now of how to choose to allocate your wines. And so for you, when you first started, or maybe it's different now, but the idea of wine clubs or allocated list or distribution, how did you navigate the market and where do you see your wines best fitting? Well, we do have a wine club. Um, and so that was, we actually, when we started, we did not have a wine club. And um, it was actually, you know, my friends in Atlanta that were kind of like, hey, can you start a wine club? Because the way we did it before is, you know, we did like an allocation model system. We would, and we would, you know, send out an email offering or I'd text my friends. And, and um, usually they would text back like, hey, send, send me the wine. What, what do I have to do? It's like, oh, I need to get a credit card and all this. They're like, man, can you start a wine club so I don't have to deal with any of this stuff and you can just send me the wine? And that's literally why we started the wine club because four or five friends from Atlanta, high school friends from Atlanta were like, uh, we just want to get your wines. We love your wines, but we don't want to go through the process 
of having to like wish list everything and, and go through the internet and be like, I want this, this, and this. Um, and so we have kind of a customizable wine club that it's, it's basically, okay, this is what you want. And then once you're in the program, you get to make sure that you get that every year. Um, that brings up the second question, which is, well, how do you meet wine club members? And, and um, it just really happens kind of organically and naturally, you know, people, we have a tasting room that's kind of a home base in, in Hillsburg, California. You know, some people hear about us at our estate, which we don't really accept people up the state very often. Um, but if, if you kind of, if you know, you know, you know, if you kind of like call us and ask, you can do it. So if you're from um, Atlanta, are you saying if you're from Atlanta, yeah, can I, I mean, get you yeah. in the door? <laughs> Probably if you, if you said, I listened to you on a Cork in the Road podcast, can I come to the winery? We say, sure. Golden um, ticket. Okay, good. Heard it here first. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we just get introduced like that. And, you know, we, I, I go on the road on occasion, a lot less these the last couple of years than, than before, but I go on the road and meet people and they try the wines and um, specifically to Atlanta, we, you know, we have a distributor in Atlanta who sells to local restaurants and and to retail and to some retailers and you know they've been great and so you know there's still like there's there's atlanta connections there i knew those guys before i was ever in the industry so and that's just how we get in the market but mostly we're a kind of direct to consumer business uh where if you know me or if you visit us in Sonoma county that's how you that's how you got to know us that might be the first wine club origin story that began in Atlanta. I'm going to have to dive into research, but I feel like that may, we're just going to say that for now until I hear differently, that this was the okay. first wine club. It literally is three guys on the same day. It turns out later that they talked to each other about it when I wasn't there, but they mentioned it to me in the same day in separate occasions. So They were scheming um, and they made it happen. Call it a success. That's amazing. But then that makes me think too of just how you connect with people and the different avenues available for winemakers to talk about your wines and meet people. And obviously that all changed during the pandemic, what you could and couldn't do, but what excites you about the evolving way that wine is distributed and the way that consumers are buying it domestically? Like, Well, I think the biggest thing that's changed is just this online tastings, you know, Zoom tastings are the, the, Number one thing that's changed, um, we're doing less of them than we did kind of in the heart of in COVID times now. But, um, you know, the the thing that I've always liked is just being in touch with directly with the consumers, um, you know, really meeting the people that enjoy the wines. I like anyone who's interested in buying our wines, be it a distributor or a retailer, but um, working with the end consumer has always been the most exciting, truthfully, because a lot of times you're like, man, I can't believe someone likes what i'm doing you know <laughs> like, people are buying it like i make something and they buy it what is this <laughs> yeah exactly so like, they like this stuff and no i'm not saying this bad or anything i just say this is like a dream sometimes you're like wow this is actually it's just like a really good feeling when you, you know that like your hard work is being appreciated so those connections to people that keeps you going i, I have to ask you as just someone who constantly works in in the elements, I mean, this is each year you are challenged in ways that you never expect. So how do you stay inspired to keep working with these vineyard sites and stay in winemaking? How do you personally stay engaged? Well, I mean, it's just a passion. You know, it's not just my job. It's my hobby, too. It's, it, uh, you know, I mean, that, that the thing that I like about wine over, it's not a 
especially at the level that we're making wine and we're growing grapes, it's not a standardized thing. We're not doing the same thing every year. There's no recipe. Everything changes. Um, it's, it's exciting. It's time scary, you know, like, but, um, but there's never been, I mean, I'm, I'm probably just as hungry now for learning new things and, and trying new things. I mean, we kind of, everyone at Corsi Graves, like the production team, and there's not very many of us, but, um, you know, we are just, we love to experiment. We have experimentation blocks. We try new things. We, um, you know, we work with uh, other vineyards and other people and see what they're doing. And this is just fun. It's, it's really, that's what's fun when you're learning, when you're learning constantly, you know, you feel like we're happy with what we've done, but we don't feel like we've reached our potential in any way. You know, we think we have a, like, and, and when we, we're doing a lot of planting right now, vineyards and, you know, we see it, we're like, well, kind of what's the rule in planting? It's, it's got to be great right out of the gate. And then, but we're really has to be planted for going to be great in 30 years, you know, and, and that's exciting. That's what keeps it interesting. It's like, well, you know, what is it going to be like 25 years from now? What is it going to be like 30 years from now? What is, what is it going to be like when I'm long gone? You know, can this vineyard, can we make something that outlasts us? That's the competitive internal fire just is, it's just who we are. And I think the team, the, the, the vineyard guys that I have, my, my assistant winemaker, we all kind of have the same thing where it's like, well, what can we do better? What, we, what can we do better next year? You know, like after harvest, we're kind of finishing up licking our wounds from just a long harvest. And, and it was a great harvest, but it's a lot of long hours and, you know, no days off. And, you know, we kind of like take a few days off and, reflect a little bit, catch up on some sleep. And, and now we're, we're meeting and tasting wine and be like, okay, these are going to be really good wines, but like, what did we not do perfect? And what can we, what can we add next year? That's going to make it better. And we try to figure out one or two things every year. We're like, this is the thing we didn't, didn't have perfect. And this, this timing could have been better. This, this temperature could have been better. So, um, you know, we, uh, we just try to improve every year and that's, that's the, the fun thing. And then also we have a great team, the people you work with, right? It's like, Oh it is yeah. Any business. Oh yeah. You know, when you're working with fun people, it's fun job. And most of the time people are not sitting at their day-to-day jobs thinking this decision is going to impact me 30 years from now. So that is a very <laughs> unique to wine situation yeah. that yeah. I think is, is something that also is challenging, but keeps you engaged. I totally get that where you're coming from on the long term And watching it evolve each year. So that's fantastic. But what would what advice would you give to somebody who's starting now? Anything that you would say, if you want to be a winemaker, do, what would you do to finish that sentence? If you want to be a winemaker, um, well, I think there's a lot of things to do. Start with reading as much as you can. You know, it's probably the easiest thing to start reading is just wine appreciation stuff. Taste, you know, taste a lot and write down notes. I, um, I started early. I was, I was trained early to like write down the notes for everything I tasted. And I, I can honestly say that 95% of the wines I tasted for three or four years were in a, in a notebook that I carried around like a nerd everywhere I went, you know, and people were like, why are you pulling out that notebook in the middle of dinner? Because, um, but I think tasting, and then if you really, if you're really passionate and you want to do it, you know, get involved, go do a harvest internship, you know, a lot of people are like, well, I'd love to work anywhere. It doesn't, you don't have to work at a top-notch place the first year, work at a, any place. And then, 
but uh but don't be afraid you know a lot of these just work hard show up to a winery and be like you know i'm i got a strong back and and i'll and i'll do anything you want as long as i'm learning you know just tell them that and most wineries will hire you for an internship. They might not pay you very well, but they'll <laughs> hire you and that's your start. They'll take somebody who's interested in getting started and put you to work and get you yeah. behind the scenes of what happens. Excellent, excellent advice. I'm sure there's artistic aspects and scientific knowledge along the way too, but I love that you say, dive in, try a harvest, get out there. That's excellent. Even from Atlanta, you are proof that you could be sitting in the middle of the city of Atlanta and find your way in California. So Speaking of that, where can people find you if they have questions? How can they learn more about your wines? What's the best way to connect with you? Yeah, just, uh, you know, CourseyGraves.com. Just go on our website. You can send me um, you can send me an email, Cabell at CourseyGraves.com, or uh, just call us at the winery. That's the easiest thing to do. Awesome. Give you a call. Just remember the time difference. And yeah. uh, as long as you're not out at one of the vineyard sites, sounds like we'll catch you. So that's Pro- probably really- so. That's awesome. And if you're back in Atlanta, let us know. We'll do a big tasting here. I think that people are finding your wines at those retail shops here um, and in restaurants. And I really, really hope that people continue to seek them out. So thank you for your time today. Yeah, go with Atlanta Braves. Can we say that? Is that can Jason, I say that? Go Braves. Okay, go Braves. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I was there for this. Yeah, Yeah, super exciting. Maybe got to pop some good bottles during the World Series here. So yes, thank you so much for your time. It was great to meet you. Come visit. I will. Now I know about your estate. I'm like, that sounds awesome. And I have been drinking a ton of Coombsville, Bennett Valley. I get really excited. Next time I'm out, I'll let you know. And when you're in Atlanta, let us know. Thank you so much. (laughs) Cheers to you. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to the A Cork in the Road podcast, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia, and interviewing people who are changing the wine world in the Southeast and beyond. You can find more about A Cork in the Road at at A Cork in the Road on Instagram, and make sure to check us out on www.acorkintheroad.com. See you soon, guys. Cheers.